0: Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Good morning, Grace. Let's open our Bibles to John 11. We're going to hit the ground running. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering around your Word. Meet us in this next 30 to 45 minutes, Lord, and uh, talk to us. Show us the part of this text that applies to our lives, Father, and uh, cause us to be stronger because we came out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. It's maybe about a year and a half ago that uh, I was in this portion of Scripture. We looked at some different things that we're going to look at today today. But uh, typically, you know, when it's that short a time span between messages, you know, I say, Lord, are, are, are you really sure about that? Am I, am I hearing you? You're right. And um, I really believe that this is our message for the fast. I believe that there are things you're going to hear this morning that uh, uh, you really need to put into practice over this next week so you can enter into this, this next level of breakthrough. Fasting does not change God. It changes you, okay? <laughs> So we're not trying to change god also please know if at some point you feel overwhelmed or you know your mood gets too ugly you, you might a little meal i mean just a small meal if that's what it takes you're not trying to prove anything it's about your relationship with god and uh, basically just showing your body who's in control your spirit is in control of the body and you really don't realize how strong the impulses of your natural flesh are until you start telling them no. And it uh, just reminds you of the battle that uh, uh, makes it real plain, the battle that we're, we're, we're facing. John chapter uh, 11 and verse 1, Scripture says, Now a certain man, John uses this phrase certain man here very, very intentionally. He needed to underscore from the outset because of the, the, the magnitude of this miracle that this was not somehow a folktale. This, the individual in this, this narrative was a literal living and breathing person. He goes on to say he was sick. As, as he goes on, particularly at the outset of this narrative, we, we see he adds more and more details. He gets more and more specific about the man that he was talking about. First, he was a man. Secondly, he was sick. But next here, John mentions his name, Lazarus of Bethany, not Lazarus from uh, Bethel but the Lazarus from Bethany. There were more Johns, you know, there's a John here and a John there. He's being real specific. It was a common name, and they wanted to, particularly his critics, he wanted them to to know who they could go talk to to find out about uh, the events. So Lazarus of Bethany, not James Brown the singer, but James Brown, the the CBS sports commentator uh, on, on, on Channel 9. You know, he's being real specific about who he was talking about. The town of Mary and her sister, Martha. So he now goes on to even name his family members. He, he wants to make crystal clear that this narrative is literal. It's, this is not myth. This is fact. Lazarus was 100% real, and in a minute, he's about to be 100% dead. Verse 2. It was that Mary, as if he had not said enough to, to let folks know who he was talking about, he now continues to identify Uh, uh, Lazarus' most famous sibling. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with expensive, fragrant oil. Now, Mary here offers the New Testament pattern on how we worship Jesus. First, we see that she worshiped the Lord with things that had value, things that cost her something. There was a cost to this oil, and she gave it to the Lord. And secondly, what did she do here? She wiped his what? feet. So not only did she worship the Lord with her resources, no ministry was too low for her. She was willing to, to get down on her knees and, and deal with feet if necessary. If that brought joy to the Father's heart. She was willing to do it. And we have to be careful about being too proud in ministry. Then it goes on and says she, she wiped his feet with her what? Hair. In the book of Corinthians, what does uh, hair represent, particularly on a woman? What does Scripture say? It represents her what? Glory. So we see here, third, that Mary gave Jesus all her glory. Even in the face of criticism from her disciples that didn't get what she was doing, she was willing to give God all of her glory, no matter what it made her look like. And then it goes on and says, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This woman loved Jesus. This woman was a worshiper. This woman was an all-out worshiper. I mean, she, she was demonstrative in her worship. She, she would give resources from her very life into the ministry of Christ. But what's interesting here is it didn't stop her family problems. It says here her brother Lazarus was what? Sick. So in spite of all that worship, she still had Living situations and 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 household situations that she had to deal with. Verse three. Therefore, the sisters sent to him. Now, watch how these ladies pray to Jesus. They sent to him, saying, "Lord, behold, he whom you love is what sick." These ladies are about to show us the secret to getting our prayers uh, 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 answered. These ladies actually, you know, they're not like the crowd. This is part of. Jesus' intimate team, if you will. They had spent time with him in other settings and they were maturing in the faith. And scripture says here, when they came to him, they came proclaiming God's love in the middle of their misfortune. How many of you can believe in God's love even when your circumstances seem to disagree? Even when you have trouble at home, I mean, you're supposed to be, you know, you're a man or woman of God, and and trouble rises up in your house. But but in the midst of this, these worshipers proclaim Jesus' love in spite of their circumstances. How many know we can learn something from these ladies? And as soon as they did that, and when Jesus heard that, it was like, you know, your, your little girl putting her little hand in your big hand and looking, you know, the little eyes looking into your eyes saying, Daddy, I know you love me and I know you're going to take care of me. It's irresistible when such things happen. And when these ladies came to Jesus saying, I know we have problems, but I'm also absolutely convinced of your love. When when they said that to him, immediately released the prophetic in his life. He said this. He said, this sickness is not unto death. This is very, very important here. These women did not really need a visit. All they really needed was God's word. And when Jesus spoke, the answer was released into their circumstances right then and right at that moment. He said this sickness is not unto what? Death. Now, Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is either he's God taking flesh or he's not. If he's wrong, he's not God. He's just a man. But he says here, this sickness is not unto what? Death. What is he saying? He's saying that this sickness will not just lead to death, but through death. You see, we can ask God for whatever we want. But God also reserves the right to answer in the way he wants. And in his wisdom, he decided that, you know what? Death will come, but death will be uh, defeated. And just because you have a problem does not mean God does not love you. Let's keep reading here. Let me read it again. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but watch the but, but for the glory of God. Sometimes what you're facing is not all about you. Everything in this universe is not focused on you. Sometimes there are bigger issues in consideration. And in this case, it wasn't the comfort of Lazarus. It wasn't the ease of Mary and Martha, as much as the glory of their God. He said that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, the word glory literally here is the term weight, kabod or kabod in the Hebrew. And, you know, lightweight problems are for lightweight worshipers. That's important to think about. But if you want to enter the heavyweight class, and these were heavyweight worshipers, these two ladies, you might have to face some world-class heavyweight opponents in opposition. Now, in verse 5, Scripture reiterates, though the family had a crisis, God still loved them. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them all. But it looks like an absolute contradiction. Lord, if you love me, why did you let this thing happen? Why did my brother die? Why did my mother die? Why did my father die? Why did that relationship die? If you love me, God, why did this thing happen? Watch verse six. Strange behavior here. When Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And if Jesus really loves us, why sometimes does he seem so far away from us? I mean, couldn't Jesus immediately fix it? Couldn't Jesus have stopped the whole crisis just like that? But Scripture says Jesus loved them. So maybe the love of God doesn't mean that you're never going to face a crisis in your family or in your life. And then after this, two more days, he said, let's go to Judea again. See, sometimes when I don't understand God's hand, I have to learn to trust his word. Jesus had already put a word on their situation. And, And a lot of us feel, you know... Jesus, if I could just feel your power, if I could just feel your goosebumps, if I could just feel you, somehow things would get better. But let me explain to you, and we've talked about this before. There was a crowd that was thronging Jesus, and the multitudes were actually feeling him and in God's immediate presence. But none of them got healed, except that one woman that pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. Feeling Jesus is overrated. I love to feel the Lord. But you know what? I don't always just want to feel him. I need to hear him. I need him to speak into my situation his word. Imagine if all I do is feel God all day, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. There are no miracles. Nothing changes. I just feel him. And a lot of times in church, all we want is a feeling. And we have lowered the bar. You know, feelings are great, but give me God's word because I could depend on that. Feelings come and feelings go. I have good days and sometimes, you know what, I don't feel so good other days. But God's word remains constant and the same. Verse 11. After that, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake Him up. It's important to see Christ as your Savior, but it's also important to see Christ as your leader. Followers follow their leaders. They imitate leaders. And you've heard said that imitation is the highest form of flattery, if you will. It, instead of sometimes, uh, I, I believe in worship and I am a worshiper, but you know what? I think sometimes more than just a hallelujah, God would rather you imitate Jesus just a little bit in your life and your living. Then add a hallelujah on top of that. But as you read this, it's important to understand what Jesus was doing and why he did what he did so we can begin to live as he lived. He said, Lazarus sleeps. I go that I might wake him, what, up. Jesus spoke in the middle of this crisis the language of recovery and not death. He... he he refused to get down into, you know, to, you know, and then this is the way a lot of us pray. You know, Lord, I got this problem, I got that problem, and this is wrong. And all we do is harp on and focus on all day long what's wrong. But Jesus spoke the, the solution into the problem, and this must be our approach. And, and actually, the, the disciples understood, well, okay, you're saying he sleeps, so if he sleeps, he must, he's going to get better because sleep is temporary, and that was the exact point Jesus was making. This man's sickness was temporary, and what has to happen when you're in your crisis? You need to see it as God sees it. I know it is a fact, it is a problem, but it is a temporary problem. And you have to be careful not to put the period where God wants to put the comma. Amen. The sickness is not unto death. And then in verse 12, he says, he sleeps. But then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, then he, he's going to get up. He's going to get well. These guys had walked with Jesus for years now. This, not a month, not a week. But they still didn't get how he operated. In church, some of us have been in the church for years now. For some of us, this is our 15th church, and we've been, we've been walking with the Lord, but we still don't get how he operates. It doesn't take faith to speak things that are, to say, you know, I'm, I'm sick, I'm troubled, I'm broke, I'm disgusted, I'm messed up. That, that takes no faith to say what is. But it takes faith to call things that are not as though they were. And Jesus, in his crisis, chose to speak his faith. What are you speaking in your crisis? It takes no faith. What's the point of church if you're like everybody else, just doing as everybody else does in their crisis? Can you speak an answer to a problem? Do you have genuine faith and say, you know what, this is just for a moment? Trouble can't last always. Yeah, a problem has come by my front door, but you know what? I'm going to send it to another address. You know, it can come, but it won't stay. I mean, can you look at your situation and tell it how it's going to end? I mean, he's the Alpha and the what? Omega. Omega. And if you serve the beginning and the end, you should be able to speak the end from the beginning in your situation if you truly know God and worship him in your life. We have to learn how to operate like Jesus. You say your wife's going to leave you. Okay, what are you saying? She said that. What are you saying? The doctor said you're dying. What are you saying? The bill collector said you're behind. But what are you saying? Do you hear me? It doesn't take faith to say what it is. It takes faith to say the opposite. You've heard me say, you know, you know, a dead fish still goes with the flow, but it takes a living fish to swim against the currents up the river. And if all you're doing is going with the flow, you're dead while you're alive. When life is on the inside, there's a counterforce. I know these are the facts, but here is the truth. Do you hear me? And you got to get stirred in your heart till you become like Jesus and, and what seems to be permanent. You, 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 again, you, you put a comma where there was, the, the devil's trying to put a period, and you speak things that are not as though they were. Verse 13, however Jesus spoke of his death, meaning Jesus knew that he was dead. He knew what was going on. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. So Jesus had to now come down to their level, lest they misunderstood him completely and think that he was lying or misinformed. And, and, and here's the truth I know. You can't talk to everybody on the same level. That's why some people, you know what, when you're in Christ, just avoid. It gets some folks that can understand what you're saying about your situation. You hear me? But Jesus was strong and powerful, and he was able to even handle these disciples. But I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying to you, because verse 14 is about to make a claim. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Faith is not denying facts. If you think I said that, I didn't say that. Faith recognized, here's the facts, but here's the truth. Faith is belief in spite of facts. I know what they say. I know what the facts are. But here's what the word of God says. Genuine faith is an upstream battle. That's why the Bible calls it the good fight of faith. But how many of y'all fighting? Don't just lay down. When, when, When stuff happens, begin to speak the desired results. According to God's word and watch his word come to pass. In verse 15, Jesus gets strange here. It almost seems like he's sadistic, masochistic, and um, just doesn't seem right. But you see, when you look at things from a human perspective, sometimes God looks mean. Sometimes he looks angry. Sometimes he looks uncaring. Jesus says, I'm glad. How's Jesus happy about the death of someone he loved? I mean, what, 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 what type of God is happy about such an event in somebody's life. It, this, this statement used to trouble me until I learned some things. You see, God is not a man, and he has the full perspective and full picture. You see, if I was God as me, I would be depressed every day, looking at the world and what people are doing, what kids are doing, what adults are doing. Man, I would just, man, I, I, I'd be a mess. You see, God sees, again, the end from the beginning. He sees everything all at the same time. He doesn't look to the future or look to the past. He sees it all simultaneously. And what God has done is he weighs our present struggle. He says, man, that's real. Oh, I, I know that hurts, and I, I feel with you, and I'm for you, and I'm going to help you, and, and I, I feel your pain. I sympathize with your pain, but, but I, I've also weighed your present pain. And when I weighed it against the future benefits, not only did it tip them, I mean, the future benefits were like this. And when I, when I took a look at it, are you hearing what I'm saying? I decided I wanted you to go through this so you can get to that. And it wasn't because I didn't care. It was because I did care. God sees and he knows. And what you're going through is for a moment. What you're feeling is real, but compared to the weight that God wants to bring in your direction. It's a small price. Romans 8 and 18 has helped me, and I like how the Holy Spirit inspired it. Paul said it this way, for I consider. You see, what I consider doesn't really matter. It's what you consider. You know, what the Bible says doesn't matter until it gets in you. That Bible on your your, your dresser, there's no value there. It's like... You know, a, a, a tomato seed. A tomato seed in the bag doesn't feed your family. It's when the seed gets into the soil that it grows and produces something that becomes beneficial. And the Word of God in that Bible does you no good. It's not until it becomes the living Word, until it gets down deep in your heart, comes alive, and begins to bear fruit that it becomes profitable. Paul says here, for I consider, he says elsewhere, I am fully persuaded, neither height, nor life, nor death. nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. It doesn't matter what other people are persuaded about. What matters is what you're persuaded about. He said, for I consider. And this is when I get sad. This is when I get depressed. When I stop considering things the way I ought. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They are not even in the same class. I mean, I, they don't belong in the same room or the same sentence. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But you have to make up your mind that this is a momentary affliction, that trouble won't last always. This is temporary.